Coming up in the Sark Fighter podcast, a Grand Canyon trip seemed like a good idea. Uh, we were out for three days, and uh, we were down at the bottom of the canyon, and we started to hike up. Until sarcoidosis said, not so fast. And then things just progressively got worse. Coming up, an interview with Mark Landiak, who was hiking in the Grand Canyon when suddenly something went wrong. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and welcome. This is episode 20 of the Sark Fighter Podcast. I'm your host, John Carlin. Brought to you in part today is the Sark Fighter Podcast by a grant from A-Tire Pharma. The official Sark Fighter song is called Zombie by Mark Steyer and his band, the White Hot Lizards. Mark is a fellow Sark Fighter. You can hear his story and the inspiration for the lyrics, which really do tell the story of sarcoidosis in episode 12. And proceeds from that song will be donated to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. And if you listen to that, his story is not just about how he wrote the song, but about how he was a hockey player, and all of a sudden, one day, he just wasn't able to go anymore, and it turned out to be sarcoidosis. And I'll leave it at that. You can hear the rest of his story in episode 12. I call this the Sark Fighter Podcast because I'm fighting Sark, and so are you, whether you're a caregiver, a patient, a researcher. Um, and we've talked to people in uh, in pretty much all of those areas. I have talked to a lot of caregivers, but we've talked about caregivers with some of the patients who've come on. But maybe if you've got an idea for a caregiver, you can drop me a line at my email, which is uh, carlinagency at gmail.com, and it's also in the uh, show notes. But uh, the, the podcast is a place where all of us can gather. If you are listening to this podcast, you're not some random listener. You are somebody who's been touched in one way or another by sarcoidosis. And um, people had told me that they felt like they were all alone, and I thought, well, all right, let's get a podcast going and let's find another way to connect people with one another and let them feel like they're not the only ones out there who are dealing with this dreadful disease and how it sneaks up on people and all the, the medications and the troubles with doctors and the communications with doctors and trying to keep multiple doctors communicating with one another. Um, it is just a mess. And all I know is it does help sometimes to hear, you know what, you're not the only one dealing with this. And if we keep talking about it, we keep bringing it to the surface, maybe somebody Somewhere, we'll do something about it, and all of us participating can play our little role. Uh, normally, by the way, I release a new podcast every other Monday. Now, if you do want to do something to help in the fight, you might want to consider donating your birthday to FSR on Facebook. That has become an amazing source of revenue for FSR, and my birthday is this month, and I plan to do that. So let's see what happens with that. Uh, and if you want to, you can find me on Facebook uh, at John Carlin. And also, uh, you can find the Sark Fighter podcast on Facebook. It has its own Facebook page as well. Now, if you are new to sarcoidosis, 
You're trying to figure out what it is you have, what's going on with your body. Uh, You're starting to sense the disappointment and the frustration. Welcome aboard. Yeah, we're we're all on the same bus, unfortunately. I'm sorry that you have to be here, but we'll do all we can to help. And you might want to consider listening to my interview with Dr. Simon Hart back in episode two, where we sort of did the ABCs or sarcoidosis 101 and went over some of that. Uh, And that's episode two. And then, you know, I really, I talk about finding hope for people. And one of the ways we do that is by looking at things down the road that might actually work. And episode 17 is one of those with Sanjay Shukla. Um, He is uh, part of what I'm trying to do, as I said, with the Sark Fighter podcast. He is the CEO of Atire Pharma, and they're working on a drug which is showing great promise. Right now it's in preliminary trials, uh, but it's called Atire 1923. Very catchy name, right? Uh, And in episode 17, he explains how it works, what it does in your body, and how and when it might be cleared for use in treating sarcoidosis. But they are uh, sort of in the finishing stretch, if you will, in seeing if this is a drug that uh, will live up to its promise. And he'll talk all, he talks all about that in episode 17. I definitely recommend that you check that out. And I will just tell you, it's helped me a lot to talk with other people and hear their stories and their struggles to understand uh, how much those struggles are like my own in very many ways. So I think of this... Uh, the Sark Fighter podcast is a sort of audio support group. Now, you probably know by now that the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research helps researchers work on solutions like ATIRE, but they also specialize in patient outreach, helping all of us cope with SARC, the medications, the doctor's issues that I've already mentioned. So a big announcement from the foundation this month. Uh, I did just mention this quickly in the previous podcast, but here as, uh, as of October of 2020, FSR has a new leader. Mary McGowan has been announced as the new CEO, and I can tell you that we are making arrangements right now to have Mary join me here on the SARC Fighter podcast, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but you, uh, you have, we have had executive directors with FSR before, and Mary is the first person to come in with the title of CEO. I'm very anxious to find out how that is different, how that will function, and what her vision is for the foundation as we go forward. Now, as you, as you may also know, Redding Wilson is one of two founders of the organization, along with his wife, Andrea. Andrea is a fellow Sark fighter. Uh, he had been leading the charge while the search for Mary took place. And I did interview uh, Redding and Andrea back in episode 11, so you might want to go back and listen to that. But Andrea has another one of these amazing stories um, of how she was fighting sarcoidosis and went through difficulty finding the right doctor and then finding the right treatment and then having relapses and and some very serious health issues that were brought on by sarcoidosis. And she was so frustrated that she really did something about it. She and Redding actually founded the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research and hearing how they got it going and started at their kitchen table all the way up to what it is today. uh, It's really an amazing story. So you might want to go back and listen to that in episode 11 and hear how everything got to where it is today. I also want to mention that the uh, KISS, which stands for Kick In to Stop Sarcoidosis, the KISS 
5K is virtual this year. Uh, normally, they would have a 5K, and everybody would come and gather and raise money. And but in a sarcoid, uh, not a sarcoid, but a COVID environment. Um, funny how I always pair those two together. It's just like terrible illnesses that are uh, affecting my life. But in a uh, in a COVID environment, they can't do the 5K this year, so it is virtual, which means what you do is you go out and you run a 5K sometime in October, and then you go to the FSR website, look under Team KISS, and there's all the information that you need there, and you have until October 31st to complete a 5K distance and then upload your photos and your stats and so forth. And... I do have to say that thanks to sarcoidosis, I don't run anymore, uh, which is a bummer because I used to run a lot. I mean, a lot. I ran marathons, but uh, my wife and her running group are doing the virtual 5K in my honor on October 30th, which is my birthday. So I'm so appreciative that they're doing this and raising some money for FSR, and I just want to thank them. And for those of you who go out and, and do this, whether you walk or run the 5K, doesn't matter. Uh, just do it and uh, either send in a donation on your own or have your friends help you by raising some money and send all that money into, into FSR. And uh, that'll, that'll help the cause. Also, the second summit is coming up in November. Once again, the summit's normally held in cities around the United States. Not possible this year due to COVID, so it's virtual. And I'm pleased to say that I have been asked to moderate one of the patient discussions. And I will have more details on that as I get them. Uh, we've scheduled a uh, Zoom meeting for this week to go over some of the details. So uh, hopefully in the next, and definitely in the next um, podcast. I'll be revealing more information about that, but it's on November 14th. It does cost $40, and uh, if you cannot afford that, then FSR will help you out with the cost, uh, and all the information will be in the show notes. Okay, uh, Mark Landiak, the fellow Sark fighter who we heard from right at the very beginning, was hiking in the Grand Canyon when something went wrong. He is going to reveal what that was. Uh, he, I will tell you that he has become a huge fundraising machine for FSR as he has been fighting back against the disease. He's written a book, and he's also taking on stairs all over the United States. And I'll talk to him about all of those things coming up on the Sark Fighter podcast. Breathe, I feel like a zombie. Just feeding at stumbling Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter Podcast. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter Podcast. Joining me now from Chicago is a fellow Sark Fighter, Mark Landiak who's got an amazing story to tell, uh, both of how he was uh, afflicted with sarcoidosis and how he's been fighting back. Mark, thanks for joining us on the Sark Fighter podcast. 
Wow, John, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So you were hiking in the Grand Canyon when all of a sudden something wasn't right. And, you know, you, you, people don't just hike in the Grand Canyon if they suspect something's coming on. What happened to you? Well, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, I have a, like a thing that I do with each one of my four kids. And, and uh, the thing that I did with my oldest daughter was we backpacked in the Grand Canyon. And this was about the fourth time that we were out there. Uh, we were out for three days and uh, we were down at the bottom of the canyon. We started to hike up and um, uh, very shortly, very quickly into the, the hike up, I started getting short of breath and uh, said, wow, that's really strange. So I stopped, took a little drink of water, uh, started up again. Uh, and then things just progressively got worse. Same with each step, uh, it was uh, more onerous, and I broke out into a sweat. Uh, even though it was 85 degrees, I was freezing cold. And my daughter said, um, uh, Dad, you, you've literally changed color. <laughs> so uh, uh, that became um, a pretty scary situation because there's nobody around. And, you know, it's not like you can... Uh, uh, grab your cell phone and call for help because there's no service down there. And um, uh, we were kind of on our own at that point. And I, I had no clue what was going on. And uh, neither did she, obviously. She was real scared, probably more so than I. I just thought I was dehydrated or something. But uh, something was going wrong. And, um, and I, I got to a point where I, I couldn't literally, I couldn't step. I couldn't, uh, wow. uh, couldn't get yeah. out of it. Now she put her hands on my pack and literally pushed me out for eight hours. Wow, 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 wow. So um, I have, I, in fact, I was scheduled to go to the Grand Canyon, not to backpack, but just to go there this year. But because of COVID, I couldn't go. So I haven't seen it. But I've, I started researching um, all the different things you can do in the Grand Canyon. So there's a trail that goes from the top to the bottom and then the bottom to the top. So you... You were hiking in, carrying your own tent and all of that. You, I mean, you were doing true backpacking? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So what do you got, like a 40-pound pack, something like that, that you're carrying? Yeah, I'd say about that, probably, yeah. Yeah, typical. Uh, and now you're on your way up, which is, what, 16 miles? I'm, I'm doing this off the top of my head, but it's a long trek back up because you obviously... Well, you know, there are lots of different trails. Uh, the one you're probably talking about, the one that's most uh, known is called Bright Angel Trail. Right. Uh, and we were coming up the South Kaibab Trail, which is a bit of a steeper ascent, but a shorter ascent. So. Uh, literally, I mean, you can, you can make it in, in four hours if you're kind of, uh, you know, powering through and, um, it took us a whole lot longer. <laughs> so, yeah. And so I want to get back to the sarcoidosis part and forgive me for deviating onto the Grand Canyon part because I'm so fascinated with the Grand Canyon. Oh yeah. You gotta go. It's, it's the best. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. I'm so jealous uh, of your, you know, not just standing on the edge and looking at it, but uh, but integrating your life into being there and being a part of it. And, um, you know, I, I like you, I'm an outdoors person and uh, I just am so jealous of that. But um, you obviously had never felt 
any trepidation about taking on something like this. You mentioned it was your third trip. So all and all of a sudden you're changing color, you can't breathe, and your daughter is, you said she's pushing you up the trail because you're going from the bottom to the top, right? Yeah. Yeah. She literally put her hands on the back of my pack and pushed me up the uh, uh, up the canyon. And she also also has a pack, right? She's she's an adult daughter. She, I mean, yeah, eight, she's eight, uh, she's she? a pretty good athlete. She was a soccer player and uh, uh, and strong kid. So, okay. all right. Well, I'm glad she was able. <laughs> Thank to Thank goodness. So what was wrong with you? At that time, John, I had no clue, and and um, you know, I just was having all these symptoms, and. Uh, we got to the top and uh, rested and, you know, got something to drink. And within an hour, I felt fine again, which was really strange. Yeah. And, um, uh, and then by the time, you know, the evening uh, or the next day rolled around, I was just like normal. Huh. So it's like, wow, what, what was that? Must have been, uh, yeah. and and of course, I'd never been sick for a day in my life. So it's like, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't be sick. This stuff doesn't happen to me, right? You know, it happens to other people. So, um, so yeah, it, uh, uh, I ignored it. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, because when you're out hiking or or running or doing something strenuous, you can get you know, what I call, uh, you know, you can have a bonk where you get your blood sugar gets messed up or you haven't eaten enough or you're dehydrated or, I mean, those types of symptoms have happened to pretty much everybody that does something endurance related. So I could see where you would ignore it, but at some point something else happened. What happened next? Oh, I, um, uh, tried to, uh, run a, a race with my sons and uh, literally we we got out of the uh uh the start and within 400 yards uh, i had to stop and they're kind of going dad what's going on and uh uh so i said i don't know you guys go and uh, so i walked a little bit and i tried to start up again it wasn't happening uh so i ended up um turning around and, and walking back because it obviously wasn't going to work. This was like a 5K or a 10K or what was Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, you know, and I'd always, when I'd done these with my, my boys in the past, you know, we would, we would go after each other and, uh, uh, and I was just uh, unable to finish. And, you know, so I basically walked back and uh, uh, they, passed me on the way and I just said go I'll see you at the finish line right. and turns out I was very 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 fortunate to make it to the finish line whoa so when when you say you were fortunate and you were just walking back what happened next um I was having intensive tachycardia and uh I had no clue that that was what was going on uh although I did um uh, after that incident, I did go see my doctor and, uh, and that began the misdiagnosis phase, as I, right. as I call it, that so many, so many patients go through. Right. Well, now what is for, for our listeners who might not know, what is a tachycardia? 
it's uh, an extraordinarily har uh, fast heartbeat. I was having, uh, they told me, 50 to 70,000 extra heartbeats per day. Wow. Wow. Were yeah. you wearing like a, a Fitbit or anything like that that gave you any indication what your heart rate was? No, unfortunately, I had nothing to uh, tell me what was going on. Yeah. So, so this began your, your journey with the search for what's going on with your heart. And uh, if your story is like other Sark fighters, um, you, you said, you, and you mentioned it, uh, misdiagnosis. So how did you get from lucky to be back to the finish line to uh, various diagnoses until we kind of figured out it was Sark? Wow. Well, uh, so went to see my uh, general practitioner and told him what was going on. He did an EKG and he came, he comes in and he goes, how are you feeling? And I go, feel okay. I was standing up. He goes, uh, he goes, I, I can't believe what I'm seeing here. He goes, because your EKG is the worst I've ever seen. And he says, and you shouldn't be standing in front of me right now. He goes, I've sent a copy and I've called the cardiologist. <laughs> and, um, you know, I need you just to hang around for a little bit. And uh, wow. The, um, so he transfer, transferred that over to the cardiologist and the cardiologist uh, said, you need to come see me right now. So I did. And I um, uh, had a, a meeting with the cardiologist and, and he said he examined me and, and did the similar tests. And uh, he says, um, I think we're gonna to need to do some additional testing on you. And I said, okay, well, you know, that's fine. I, um, I've got a business trip, so like, how about next Thursday? <laughs> and uh -huh. he, goes, he goes, you don't understand. He goes, I'm admitting you right now. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, I've already called the hospital and told them you're coming over. And, um, uh, and he admitted me to the, uh, the ICU right then and there. And that's where I spent the last uh, or the next nine days. Nine days. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. so, so they figured out something is wrong with your heart, but they didn't know what it was. And no clue what it was. And, um, and I, sh I should say uh, during that, um, uh, during that period, uh, I had also seen a, neurologist, two neurologists, uh, rheumatologist, um, uh, pulmonologist, and uh, a couple of other folks, and, and none of them could figure out what was wrong with me. Um, and I should back up a little bit. Before I actually spent the nine days, I had seen all those folks, and, uh, and that was over a 10-month period but that first admission that he put me in, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Uh, they, of course, thought blocked arteries, right? You know, because that normally would be what would happen, but didn't find that. So uh, started going through all the other uh, procedures to figure out what was going on and um, uh, got misdiagnosed and and that process, you know, during that misdiagnosis phase, they were prescribing all kinds of medications that were not what was 
uh, helping me. In fact, yeah. killed me with that too. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and I had one uh, particular neuro neurologist who was at a teaching hospital and uh, very high ego guy, and uh, he knew what was wrong with me and and uh, uh, wasn't listening to what I was telling him or what I was asking him to help me with, and um, uh, and then finally, you, you know, I, I had another collapse. And um, uh, and that's when I spent the nine days. But um, wow! Yeah. So your heart was there's no blockage, but you're having these issues. What was it that your heart was was or was not doing? It was racing. You had this super high heartbeat, or what? Yeah, was going I had um, actually had uh, scarring inside the heart from uh, sarcoidosis. Right. And uh, my electrical system was essentially going haywire. And uh, uh, my heart wasn't functioning. It wasn't pumping properly. And, um, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why I was having the problems with shortness of breath and uh, inability to, uh, you know, go up any incline or do any exertion really what's you know, at its worst. I couldn't even get up the stairs to go to bed at night, I needed help. Wow, that's, so how did they figure out it, that it was sarcoidosis? Oh, this is another pretty good story. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, uh, all right, so, you know, John, I, I must not be the brightest guy <laughs> because, <laughs> because what I did was, um, so this neurologist, he's got me pumped full of prednisone, right? And um, so, of course, I started feeling a little bit better, and um, and I was taking my son to uh, uh, to practice at a, a place, a health club that had a racquetball court. Well, I, I used to play an awful lot of racquetball, and so while I was waiting for him, I would just go on the court and I would just dink around a little bit and hit and see a. Uh, uh, you know, how, how I was feeling and cause I was starting to feel a little bit better on all that prednisone, but really it was just masking the problem. It wasn't helping at all really. And, um, it was just kind of masking it a little bit. And, um, so after a few weeks of doing this, I got this bright idea. I got a little thing in the mail and it was for a racquetball tournament. And, um, I had been a tournament racquetball player. So I go, Oh, you know what? I'll enter this tournament and just see what happens. And you know, what an idiot. <laughs> right, <laughs> after right. All this, after all this stuff, you know, I go through this. So I, I jump in this tournament. I got through um, the first game somehow. And at the beginning of the second game, I uh, uh, basically turned a, a different color again and stepped outside of the court and collapsed. And the next thing I remember there was, uh, four paramedics over the top of me and someone was pumping on my chest and uh, uh, and that's when <laughs> uh, a young doctor uh, they had done an MRI and uh, rushed me in and did an MRI and a, a number of other tests and uh, uh, a young doctor recently out of medical school and uh, an electrophysiologist said this guy's got cardiac sarcoidosis and um, you know, so he's he's the one that uh, that diagnosed me. Wow! 
Well, uh, but but you didn't do a biopsy or anything like that. So he just yeah, they actually did. They Um, did. Okay. Yeah, they they uh, uh, during that that nine day stint there, they um, uh, walked in one day threw a uh, clipboard on my chest and said, "You need to read this and sign it." And I go, "Why? What is it?" He goes, "Well, we're taking you to surgery right now." So what do you mean right now? (laughs) Nobody told me anything about surgery. And um, so, but apparently he goes, uh, she said, uh, she goes, well, there's a meeting going on about you downstairs. And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, well, there's four physicians down there talking about your case. Um, One of them is a specialist in sarcoidosis. She wants to do a heart biopsy and she's got time and there's a room available right now and they're bringing you down now. And my wife is like looking, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and uh, so we, we did that. They did a biopsy, um, uh, did you know, a number of more tests, and, uh, and they came up with uh, cardiac SARC. Wow. And you'd never heard of sarcoidosis, right? Oh, gosh, no. I couldn't even pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, what do you have? I, I don't know. <laughs> right, right, right. Something's wrong with my heart. I don't know what I got. <laughs> right, right. Well, um, man, so they had been giving you prednisone, you, uh, which probably was the best thing they could have done, even if they did it not knowing, because that, right. that's, that's the, uh, there goes my dogs, I'm sorry. Um, and that's the, uh, the usual first line of defense against sarcoidosis. But you right. already got some actual damage in your heart in addition to the ongoing non-caseating granulomas in your heart, right? Yeah, plenty. Uh, yep. An awful lot. And my um, uh, pericardium, the walls of my heart were uh, enlarged significantly. And uh, that was another issue. They told me that would probably never come back. But um, uh 10 years later, we've had significant improvement in the walls of my heart. And I think that's, you know, a lot due to uh, uh, diet, careful exercise and taking meds. So it's been 10 years since this happened. Yeah, I'll have my uh, 10 year anniversary of the, uh, the canyon will actually be um, next spring. Well, I guess that's encouraging because it, it tells me that, that you can deal with this. Uh, you know, for those of us who have neurosarc, usually there's no repair. Um, so, and you and you have continued to be active in terms of running, backpacking. What what is what is your what are your limitations right now over these past ten years? Yeah, I, I'm at a point where I can be active, um, but I, I can run. I just can't run very far. Uh, so. Um, you know, I, I can play tennis. I just, uh, don't have stamina. Um, and a lot of that is just due to the drugs that I'm on and I have a pacemaker defibrillator now. Okay. So I'm, I'm paced a hundred percent of the time. So thank, thank you little device for keeping me around. And uh, just got a new one, by the way. So I'm uh, totally re-energized, John. I'm ready to go <laughs> for another seven years or so. Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, 
I, I guess, you know, um, I, I have a lot of limitations, but I also have a lot of things that I can do that I could not do before. Like I can go play soccer. And uh, I, I like to, I love playing soccer. We've got a bunch of other old guys that I like playing soccer with. And uh, so we'll go out and kick it around. And I, I can run for, you know, 20 or 30 yards. And then I got to you know, take a couple walking steps. And then my body kind of uh, rejuvenates. And then I can run a little bit more. Right. Okay. Um, so, so, and you are, what, 62? Yes. All right. So we're about the same age. Uh, you, yeah. you got, you I just got, look a lot, a lot younger. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, well, it sounds like you've always been active and you've got uh, four children, three boys and a daughter. Uh, two and two. Two and two. Okay. All right. Uh, and they're all active and you like to do things with them. And yeah. I've got, I've got three sons and some grandkids now and grandkids on the way. I mean, it's, uh, um, it, 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 I try to stay active as well, and I, I and my doctors keep telling me how important that is uh, to stay active and continue to eat well. And a lot of the folks that I have talked to and people who have emailed me here at the podcast uh, are interested in diet. And you mentioned eating well, so uh, can you share any of your dietary uh, secrets? Um, sure. Uh, well. I'm fortunate in that my wife uh, works on a farm and uh, also raises a lot of fresh vegetables. So I literally get a lot of uh, right off of the vine vegetables and uh, uh, probably didn't eat as many as I should have ahead of time, you know, before all this, but now I'm big fan. So eat lots of that. Uh, you know, drink herbal teas and uh, uh, do a lot of fruit. Okay. What kind of herbal teas? Is it over-the-counter stuff or is it? Uh, yeah, everything uh, over-the-counter. Nothing, yeah. nothing really special. Like uh, right now, I, I have a, a, a lemon echinacea with, uh, <laughs> with some honey in it because my throat is a little bit sore. Just right, to, right. But, yeah. uh, but, but yeah, I do that and, um, you know, watch what I eat. I try not to eat uh, too much. Uh-huh. And um, I drink every morning a, uh, uh, what is it? It's a, it's a, uh, a drink that's full of vitamins and minerals and, um, and not sugar. Uh, it looks kind of gross. It looks kind of like um, uh, algae mixed, uh, mixed up in some right. water. You know? right. <laughs> it's, uh, right. it's like you look at it, you go, I'm not drinking that. The first time my wife brought it home, she goes, oh, you, know, you need to try this. And it's like, oh, gosh, and tasted oh. it. It's horrible. And, you know, it's like uh, if you let your aquarium behind you there, yeah. you know, if, if you left that alone for six months, that's what I was, I'm drinking every That's morning. what you're drinking. And where do you get that from the local co-op or something? Or where um, does that there's a company from? called uh, Duterra that um, uh, sells it. And, and, uh, and I think it's, uh, I think it's helped me. You know, I think that's part of it. It's kind of starts my day off. Right. And. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, if, and if you think it works, uh, if you'll send me a link to it, I'll put it in the show notes. And, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, because 
and I want to get into your medication a little bit, and then and then uh, I want to talk about everything that you have been doing to raise money for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, which is sort of the second half of your story. But um, you know, people don't want to take these drugs. Yeah, you know, I, I don't want to take the drugs that I'm taking, and people, everybody is looking for some sort of a solution that doesn't come in the form of a pill or mm -hmm. an IV. And they're like, okay, um, I haven't lived a healthy lifestyle, but man, if I could just, you know, if someone told me that if I became a vegan, I would just do it. But nobody, nobody is saying that. They're saying, yeah, it might help, it might not help, I don't know. Uh, but I think everybody's looking for, for that solution. So, um, you're staying active and you're, and you're, what is the name of this company again? Duterra. Duterra. How do you spell that? I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't either. Okay. Well, we'll find it. We'll find it. And I'll put it in the show notes. And, and does it taste awful? Yes. Yeah. And in fact, I brought it to my support group uh, one, one uh, morning. And I said, you know, we were all bringing some different foods and, uh, uh, I said, here, guys, you know, this is this is what I drink every morning. And because uh, they all know I'm, I'm always looking for, you know, what's the what's the best uh, uh, regiment to to do. And um, they tasted it. And uh, we got no takers out of the group. Zero. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> and uh, it's an acquired taste. You know, it's, it's uh, like anchovies. You know, it's an acquired taste. Uh. Nobody. Nobody really wants to take this, <laughs> well, but um, but I do because in my own head I think it does some good and and um, and I look at it and a lot of the stuff has lots of sugars in it that aren't necessarily uh, uh, you know all that good because they can promote inflammation. This one is very very low in sugar, very high in minerals, and also very high in uh, vitamins so uh, so i take it for for that reason and uh, uh they use a lot of uh kind of unique herbal vegetables that i wouldn't get normally in my diet so um, uh, that's another plus i think too and you know and my docs basically told me hey everything in moderation and but uh, what i've kind of learned for myself anyway is uh, there's a balance, right? You know, you've, you've got to balance the exercise that you do. And one of the things that I think is a reason, you know, you mentioned taking a lot of meds, which I definitely do. Um, and I think one of the things that helps me is breaking a sweat. Is, so if you can exercise to the point where you're breaking a sweat, I believe that, and this is this is my own belief, and I've read a little bit about this, is that will get rid of some of the toxins through your skin. And so, so that's an important part of you know the exercise regimen is is exercising to the point where you can break a break a sweat. And it doesn't really matter what you do, whether it's you know walking and if you can't get outside, get on a treadmill or or whatever it might be, but but that's part of the process, right? And um, uh, and there's a uh, you know I um, 
for a long time, couldn't do much but walk just a little bit. And so I would say if all you can do is walk even just a little bit, that's the, that's the way to start. And um, you got to start somewhere. And for me, um, I started just on my stairs. I was so frustrated that I couldn't get up seven stairs that the goal became, okay, get, it, get up to the top of my stairs. <laughs> it was right. 14 right. stairs. So if I could get up to the second floor, then, uh, then maybe I could go down and get up again. You know? so, um, so I was doing stairs for a long time. And that's how the stairs thing started. Yeah, so let's, let's talk about your fundraising efforts and the, the quote-unquote stairs thing. So you had committed to raise $100,000 for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research by climbing stairs. Well, not just climbing stairs, but through right. a number of different things. Uh, we started out with the climbing stairs. And at that time, also, I had a job where... Uh, uh, when I got back to work, I was traveling a little bit. So I just decided, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to find somebody who I know that's in that area and ask them what sort of landmarks there are that we can go, uh, go climb the stairs on and go climb some stairs. So, uh, you know, we went to some fun places and, um, uh, went to Washington DC and we, uh, Climbed up the Lincoln Memorial and and the uh, Supreme Court steps and uh, and we did uh, we would just kind of go up and down and and I'd have a couple of people join me and when I went back to uh, my boyhood home in Pennsylvania at Penn State University uh, had a bunch of friends join me and we went we climbed Nittany Mountain. And, uh, so, and that was fun. And when we went to Philadelphia, I had a really good friend join me in Philly and we did the Rocky stairs a number of times. I've done so, those. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So, you know, just kind of fun stuff like that, that um, kept me engaged, uh, kept me exercising when I was um, in my recuperative period, where I, which I'm still in right now. I, I kind of look at it that way. And then also um, just to keep me going because I didn't, I, you know, they say sitting is the new smoking, right? And I think so often it gets, um, you can get in that trap of, you know, sitting behind a computer screen and um, thinking that that's, you know, that's helping you. And it, and it's not, uh, you got to get up, you got to move your body. And uh, so that's an important part of every day is, uh, I heard your dog barking, so maybe you get out and you walk your dog. Uh, uh, my dog forces me into a walk at, at least once, if not twice a day. And um, so so that's a really good thing. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, that just getting out and doing that little bit of exercise every single day makes a huge difference. It does. And, and of course, we don't want to admit it, but we do fight the aging battle a little bit. Um, what aging battle? Yeah, that's right. That's for other people, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Hey, um, so the um, you've raised how uh, most of the hundred thousand dollars, right? 
Yeah, I think we're about 85% or more there through through the different things that we do, you know, whether it was the uh, the stairs, and we don't do so much of the stairs anymore, um, especially, you know, I wasn't traveling much last year, and then COVID hit, and, uh, you know, that that cut out all of, all of that, and, um, but uh, we did do, for the last few years, several walks, you know, the sarcoidosis walks that FSR puts on, and um, the first year, we had a little walk, we had uh, 30 or so people, and, uh, uh, you know, they came out, and we raised 1300 bucks or whatever we did. The next year we raised uh, uh, 5500 and and um, last year uh, we ended up raising 32000 and and we had somebody double it. So uh, uh, we were up over $60,000 for that, uh, that particular event, which was absolutely wonderful. And, uh, and then also I put on a soccer tournament. So um, every year we do that and, uh, and that's raised uh, a fair amount of money over the last three years. And, and then we have um, uh, the, the book that, uh, that you have that um, you found out about. And, uh, uh, and I donate the proceeds of that back to FSR as well. So let's talk about the book. The, the name of the book is Getting Better. It is. And you wrote that when? Um, when I was in the hospital, I kept a journal of, uh, like each day, you know, you're sitting there and you didn't, don't know what to do. So, uh, uh, so I would journal. And then when I got home, you know, the same thing, I would journal a little bit about, uh, about everything, you know, what, what the experiences were, the, um, having never been in a ho- in the hospital before, I just, I just found it. It was so strange. The things that went on when you were in a hospital, right? Right. <laughs> is, uh, uh, so I started entertaining myself in the hospital. So I started doing some wacky things. And one of the things that I'd love to do was, you know how in your hospital room, they have a little treatment board where it, they write down all the things that are supposed to happen that day. And well, I would get up in the morning and I'd write all my own stuff on there. <laughs> so, oh, really? Yeah, but they love that. Needs a back massage, you know, uh, fresh crepes and grapes. You know, <laughs> so, um, uh, so I'd write kind of goofy things on there every morning, and the nurses would come in and they'd get a chuckle out of it. And then I started posting stuff on them. Uh, I made myself the floor. Uh, I was on the ICU. And so there's not a whole lot of excitement on the ICU, right? No, not many people moving around. Yeah, and uh, people would come in, they'd be kind of depressed. And, um, so I would, I would put down a, um, on the door every day, I made myself the social chairman for the ICU floor. Uh-huh. So I, sh- I put the social calendar, the activities for the day on my door every morning. Uh-huh. And the nurses would come by and they'd stand outside my door and I could hear them laughing. You know, and, and I, my, my philosophy was, um, humor is really good for healing and the worse off you are, the more you need it. And, uh, you know, and at that time, you know, I was, I was pretty bad off and I, and I needed it for myself. But the other thing was, is if 
people knew that it was okay to joke around with you. The mood that they had when they came into your room was completely different. Right. And the way that they treated you, it was, oh, this isn't a guy in a hospital bed who's dying. It was, oh, this is a guy who is in a hospital bed that we really need to get this guy well. <laughs> so, you know, because, uh, um, so, and that was, so that was part of my philosophy is kind of have fun with people. And that's part of one of the chapters of the book, as you know, is one of my five principles is fun is figuring out, regardless of what your situation is, no matter how dire or how bad or what you can or what you can't do, is figure out how to have a little bit of fun into every day. And, you know, part of the things, uh, one of the, the thing, I, I had IVIG treatment for a little bit, you know, where you go in, I don't know if you've ever had that, but, uh, Not but I had mine in a cancer center. So there were um, a large number of chairs sitting around in a semicircle in this room and they'd just hook you up and you'd sit in your chair and and you'd look around and and just everybody in there was uh, everybody in there was was you know going through something a difficult period right you know so everybody looked down the nurses looked you know they weren't um, jovial at all so one uh, one day, I uh, went to the Dairy Queen before I, I went to the uh, the center, and I got eighteen milkshakes. <laughs> so I had them I had them put them into a, you know little smaller cups, and uh, so I got eighteen milkshakes and I brought them in and uh, you know I gave them to the nurses before I went in there, and then when I walked into the room. I uh, announced very loudly, I said, can I get everybody's attention? Today is milkshake day. <laughs> and I proceeded to walk around and give everybody a milkshake. And this one little old lady, as precious as she was, she goes, I've never been here for milkshake day. <laughs> and, uh, um, and the whole mood changed changed right, because right. you know nurses got a milkshake and all the people in there had a milkshake you know and a, and a couple of people you know kind of you know no nah, i don't want my you know kind of a little grumpy but that's okay um one little boy that was in there and you could see his his mom um was with him and she was going through a really difficult time and and uh and he probably was in a bad way um you know, a cancer patient, and you could see his head is shaved. And yeah. uh, so I said, "Would you like a milkshake?" And he goes, "He goes, no, that's okay." I said, "Well, I can tell you for sure that your mom wants one. So, what flavor do you want to get for your mom?" And he, and he says, "She might like strawberry." <laughs> so I said, "Mom, strawberry?" She goes, "Sure." And then he took one too. He goes, "I'll take vanilla." And um, so, so he started smiling, and then after I'd given them all out, I sat down, and then they realized, oh my gosh, this guy's a patient, and, and that day, we started having conversation. So there was conversation going on across the room, and that had never happened before. So I uh, proclaimed Friday's milkshake day. I don't know if they still do it, but I hope they do. <laughs> well, I hope they do too. Well, you know, so you were talking about your book, which is called Getting Better. And yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's designed to be uplifting. 
uh, to make people happy, to understand that laughter is the best medicine. Uh, and, and it gives you a nice, bright outlook on life. But you have, you talk about fun being a part of it, but you also talk about family, friends, faith, and fitness. So you've got your one, two, three, what, five Fs, right? My five Fs, yeah. Five Fs. And that's, so you're, you know, you're 10 years out from your pretty severe diagnosis. Something is working for you. We've talked about the fun. Let's talk about the family part of the fitness part next, but whatever it's, it's up to you. Okay. Um, well, uh, let's, let's, uh, go with family okay. and, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm very blessed in that, um, I've got a family that's very supportive. And, uh, as I was going through this, um, kind of, uh, allowed me to be myself through this process at the same time uh, challenged me and um, my older daughter uh, taught me a few lessons as I was going through this process because I thought you know being trying to be the strong dad um, not sharing information Stoic. And, and uh, well, just trying to put on the facade, right? You know, and uh, yep. uh, but they knew that things were not good, but I wasn't sharing information. So, uh, like the, the worst news, I didn't give them the bad news. You know, I only kind of put on the facade. And um, she said that this frustrated them because they didn't really know the full story and they wanted to know. So, um, so that was a, a good piece of learning for me is sharing information with the family, letting them know what's going on, you know, trying to teach them about the disease and, and you know, what uh, I was feeling. Um, wasn't something that, you know, I, I wasn't a, uh, uh, share my feelings type of a guy, you know, so uh, <laughs> And you it was probably hard for you to even realize you needed their support or to accept their support. Oh, no, I know that I needed it. You know that in fact um, uh, In there I kind of talk about each one of my kids and what I drew from them and uh, You know, it's uh, all of them have each of them have traits that I uh, appreciate and so you look at each child and you say okay you know this is what this child would expect from me as uh, you know trying to work through this process and then what they might need from me as I work through this process and uh, so that um, that was an important uh, piece of learning but it was also something that um, was wonderful as we were kind of walking through this. Uh, uh, I remember, you know, after I got out of the hospital and um, I had done one of FSR's uh, 5K walks, uh, but I couldn't walk 5K. So each one of my kids uh, took turns allowing me to put my hand on their shoulder, or in some cases, two arms, and they, they walked me through the 5K, which was, you know, uh, those types of things. And any of that, you know, you can internalize that and use it to build strength and um, resiliency to disease. At least that's my belief. 
And, you know, some people don't have a family support system. In that case, you know, then you rely on the friends, right? You know, so um, faith, family, friends, fitness, fun. And, um, you know, so the friends become an important one. And, um, you know, and if you, and if you don't have family and uh, if you don't have a whole lot of friends, you know, it's, it's, it was interesting to, uh, to make some in the hospital as I made a lot of friends in the hospital, just kind of walking the floor. And maybe there was somebody else in a similar situation also walking the floor. So we would talk as we, we walked and, uh, uh, and then a couple of the folks, you know, I'd, I, they'd walk by the room and look in and I'd, I'd wave and they'd wave and I'd say, come on in. <laughs> well, now, and, uh, so you're, you're obviously an extrovert though, right? So that, no. that comes not, you're not? No. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. But that, so that comes naturally to you. That might be really hard for some people. Yeah. Um, yes and no. You know, I, I've, um, uh, I don't, I don't necessarily want to invade other people's space. You know, I'm, I like to be respectful of that. Uh, okay. But it, like <laughs> my wife would always go, she goes, nobody wants to talk to you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so we'd walk it through. And, you know, one of the times that she was kind of giving me that lecture, one of the guys in the rooms yelled out, hey, Mark, come on in. <laughs> And uh, so we went in and we had a chat because I had, he was the guy who was uh, two doors down from me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and as he was walking, he was reading some of the things on my door. So he was kind of appreciative of some of the stupid things that I would post every morning. (laughs) And, uh, but um, yeah, so I, you know, I think it's, it's kind of interesting and nurses, uh, the most wonderful people on earth, I think are, are nurses. And um, I've got some folks that um, still to this day, you know, the very first nurse that um, took care of me uh, is, has turned into become a, a really good friend. And, uh, you know, every time I'm back at the hospital and I make sure and say hello and uh, she texts me every once in a while and say, hey, how you doing? You know, so it's um, uh, those types of things you really appreciate. But the... Um, uh, the family part, friend part, that support group part, um, you know, my support group, uh, some of those folks have become pretty good friends, you know, where you can pick up the phone and call them and they can pick up the phone and call me if they're having a difficult time. So it's all good. Yeah, I've been, uh, I, I was on the way to starting a support group here in the uh, Roanoke, Virginia area, area and, uh, and then COVID hit. So we, we had a big event planned uh, at a local theater and we were going to launch the support group and uh, everything just got knocked back. And, and, but uh, uh, I'm glad that you're doing that and I, and I hope that that's working for other people. But I want to get on to the rest of your five F's here. So we've talked about, we've talked about fitness a little bit. I mean, you've mentioned soccer and 5Ks and backpacking. Um, is there anything more specific about fitness that you would recommend or uh, have we had you think we've covered that pretty well with what we've talked about so far? Well, there's, there's really two facets to fitness that I go into in the book. And, and one is of course the physical fitness that we talked about doing what you can, 
But the other part is mental fitness. And uh, fighting a disease is a, a big part of fighting disease is the mental game. And being mentally fit and uh, trying to take on whatever the challenges are that are facing you every single day. Because every morning you wake up and um, you, know, you wake up with this disease. And uh, you know, for sarcoidosis or rare disease patients or any, you know, really any patients, you wake up in the morning and you kind of go, okay, A, I'm still here. B, now how do I feel? <laughs> and because uh, some days you feel, you just feel rotten. Uh, maybe you're achy, you got a headache, your stomach ache, you feel nauseous, whatever it is. Um, so for me, it's, um, the mental fitness piece became really, really important, especially uh, when the circumstances are tough. And, uh, and we went through some really tough time. I also had open heart surgery. And uh, one of my valves had a problem. The, uh, um, uh, the leaflet in my tricuspid valve got sliced by one of the leads from my defibrillator, my pacemaker. Ooh. And uh, so the blood wasn't flowing properly. So they had to go in and do a very, very delicate operation to repair this on a valve that they don't often do a whole lot of work on, the tricuspid valve. You know, aortic valve, mitral valve also see a lot of action, but uh, uh, this one doesn't. And, um, uh, and uh, that was a tough situation for my family, you know. So staying yeah. mentally fit through that, going into um, procedures on, in a positive way um, makes a really, really big difference. And then the other thing is just um, managing the meds, you know, because you also got to um, uh, take these medications every day and, uh, you know, twice a day or some people more. Um, but every morning, I've got to dump those pills out onto the table and one by one go through this process that I absolutely abhor. And, um, uh, you know, I never took pills in my life. And Me now all of a sudden, I was against it. I've got, I got 10 different medications every day that I take. 10? And, yeah. And, uh, you know, and some of them are simple ones like the, um, the aspirin or the folic acid. but some of them are really caustic, uh, like the methotrexate and the amiodarone and uh, uh, the carvedilol and uh, the prednisone. And, um, you know, so, you know, you stare at that every single day. And um, it's... Uh, still taking prednisone? Yes, I'm on a maintenance dosage now. We've been able to ramp that down. Five milligrams? What, what, what is I'm it? I'm down to two. Two, okay. And, uh, yeah, so I'm down to two. And, uh, and you know, we started at 60. Mm -hmm. So, uh, which is way too much for any sarcoidosis patient, <laughs> so I've heard. No, it's and way too so, much for anybody. I've, I've been at, at as much as 80 oh. and daily. Uh, and then, you know, but there was another time when we started at 60. And then but it takes, it takes months and months and months to ramp it down to get to that maintenance dose. And finally, I got off it all together um, so far. Not to talk about me, but you're taking 10 medications and you don't like pills, I don't like pills. I'd rather like 
as you said, I'd rather replace it with that green mix that you drink every morning than, than I, I just don't. It'd be easier. I, I mean, I understand the need for it, but it, in my mind, my mindset is, is I'd rather live a healthy life than take a pill to solve a problem. I mean, that's just kind of the, the way I look at it. But then, then uh, a couple of episodes ago, I interviewed uh, Sanjay Shukla, uh, and listeners can, can tune into that because that's A-Tire Pharma, and they are working on a new compound which shows a lot of promise for SARC patients. And so you've oh, got to be great. You know, you got to look at that. Um, that's primarily for pulmonary patients, but there's, you know, theoretically some evidence that it might work for, for those of us who have uh, cardiac as you do or, or neurosarc as I do. Um, well, you talk about faith as well. So uh, how does faith enter into that mental toughness and, and, and your personal support system? Um, you know, that's, that's a complicated issue for a lot of people. And, uh, and it was for me, especially, you know, getting into this, because you ask the, the why me question is uh, very, very, very common. Right. And um, I was listening to the radio one day and uh, uh, channel surfing, and uh, there was a, a priest, and they were doing an interview with him. And, uh, and he was talking about this why me. And it turns out he was very, very ill. And he said, I stopped asking why me. He goes, that's the wrong question. And he goes, the right question is, well, why not me? Because if, uh, and he rationalized it in a number of different ways. Uh, one would be, well, if it wasn't me, maybe it'd be one of my family members. And so in that case, I'd much rather it be me. Right. Um, right. The other thing is, all right, so what sort of a learning process do you go through as an individual as you go through this challenge? And uh, I think that's, that's something that's been really good for uh, as far as an outcome is you know, I've learned a lot as I go through this. Uh, how can you help other people as you go through this? You know, um, right. So I think the why not me question is an interesting one for people to, uh, uh, to reflect on. And on the faith side of it, uh, I always had a lot of people saying they were praying for me. And, uh, and I, I don't know that I uh, early on had an appreciation for that because I thought it was just something to say. <laughs> Right, you know, when somebody tells you that they're uh, uh, potentially terminally ill, um, you know, okay, well, we'll be praying for you. Uh, and I took that for granted. But, you know, John, I've, I've had so many situations that have been, uh, what, um, really close calls where it could have gone either way. And, um, and I'm still here. Uh, and I've had doctors tell me, they go, uh, we don't know why you're still here. I, I was actually a subject of a study uh, that was, um, or a, a conference call, not so much a study, but the doctors would talk about my case every morning. 
um, they had a weekly call, I'm sorry, a weekly call, and I was one of the subjects on that weekly call because they couldn't figure out why I was still here. Wow. And so they were trying to look at, you know, all, all of the facets of, of this process and, and this disease and figure out, okay, what's keeping this guy here? Uh, and I think a big part of it actually was the fact that so many people were praying. And, uh, and I've had doctors tell me that, you know, they don't know why, but people that have a lot of people praying for them end up doing a lot better. So I figured, okay, well, hey, sign me up. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it works. I, I, I don't know if, if other SARC fighters um, have had that, but like you, I've had a lot of Like you, I've had a lot of people say that they are praying for me, either uh, on Facebook, of course, because my story has been very public, um, as has yours. Um, through your book and so forth. Uh, so hey, John, I take all the prayers we can get. There's, there's one more thing there too. Yep. And uh, that is, uh, I met an individual th throughout this process who uh, I guess, you know, like, like me was a strong, high ego individual, right? You know, figuring, okay, I got this, you know, I don't worry. I got this. Um, well, what I've learned is I don't got this. Uh, uh, well, this individual ended up um, really having a difficult time. Very high-powered individual, type A, um, always um, in control, and then all of a sudden, uh, serious, serious illness comes, and he's no longer in control. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think he had, at, at one point, um, he was giving up and he was giving up because he had nothing else to draw on. Uh, he couldn't fix the problem. And so he had no higher source to look to, um, to help him in that, in that time because it was all about him. And, you know, in the end, it's not right. You know, it's, uh, it's all about it him, not, uh, uh, not him. So, uh, you know, I tried to talk with him a little bit about that, but, uh, you know, he basically wasn't receptive to that message. So, uh, he couldn't draw from that to help him heal. And all of these components, these five F's, um, are designed as healing strategies. And I firmly believe faith is a healing strategy. Is, uh, you know, you've got to have a strong resolve that whatever the outcome is going to be the outcome that, uh, you know, you're going to have to um, work through. And you need a higher source to help you work through that. And then the other pieces of the puzzle, you know, uh, Family and friends are definitely a healing strategy. And the fitness, mental and physical, healing strategy. And fun, absolutely, healing strategy. <laughs> right, for sure, for sure. Well, Mark, you've got a, a, a nice website that talks all about this. And of course, I'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, and, and that's also where people can order your book and then the proceeds from your book, Getting Better, 
go directly back to the foundation for sarcoidosis research, right? Yeah, in fact, um, I always tell folks, I said, don't, don't go to Amazon, uh, because if you do, they don't give us anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, there's, a, there's just a little tiny bit that comes back from them. Um, but if we go to the website, uh, 100% of those proceeds go, and that's like um, uh, 10 times the amount that uh, an Amazon would, would give us or that... Uh, so if you go to the website and order on that, you know, we'll get one out to you for sure. Awesome. And, um, uh, and yeah, we, and we appreciate that. We hope that you guys enjoy it. And, and if there's somebody out there and you can't afford one and you want one, I'll just send you one. There you go. That's great. That's great. All right. Well, we have talked, uh, we've talked for a little bit over an hour here. I wow, really I went fast. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing your story and being willing to do that. Um, I'm glad you're here with us. I don't know, uh, you know, well, like the doctors say, they don't know why you're here, but I'm glad you're here. And, Thanks. <laughs> uh, on behalf of uh, the other Sark fighters, uh, thank you for everything you're doing to raise money and to raise awareness and to help the, the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. And hopefully we all get to a better place because of your efforts. Well, I appreciate that, John. And thank you so much for having me on. And, uh, uh, giving me a little forum to share a few ideas with your uh, your audience. All right. Mark Landiak, thank you so much for joining us on the Sark Fighter podcast. All right. Take care now. So thanks to Mark for sharing his story, for his fundraising, for, for FSR, and for his book, Getting Better, and his five Fs. So they're family, friends, faith, fitness, and fun. And man, he is well on his way to raising that targeted goal of $100,000 for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Links to his website and all his various activities, including the book, Getting Better, are in the show notes. I hope you'll sign up for the November 14th Summit. Again, it's $40. If you can't afford that, FSR will help you out. All the information, again, in the show notes, along with the links. And uh, you can see some of the speakers in discussion from the September 22nd Summit. Uh, if it's available by the time I post this, I will give you uh, all of the uh, notes from the November Summit. But as of right now, I don't have those. So, uh, But I do expect it to be fairly similar to what we saw back in September. And I'll just mention the Patient Advisory Council. I'm pleased to say that I've been asked to serve on that. Our job is to try and help FSR patients and other people impacted find the best ways to make sure that you're all being helped and represented and that you have a voice in the mission of FSR. So if you have a thought and you want to share it with me, uh, please email me at carlinagency at gmail.com. And that's also just a click away in the show notes. I hope that if you are listening and finding the podcast helpful in some way, please send me an email. Uh, as I said, I've heard from a lot of people and it just it really does my heart good to hear from folks who uh, who have found the podcast, who look forward to the next podcast, and that, you know, after 20 episodes, it uh, gives me an opportunity to feel connected to you and to know that uh, that it's out there working, and I get some tangible way of, of knowing that other than uh, seeing the uh, ever-increasing, and I appreciate that number of downloads. Uh, also, I would ask that you follow The Sark Fighter on Instagram, so it's the word the and then Sark Fighter on Instagram and also on Facebook. There's uh, the Sark Fighter 
podcast has its own page as well. Thanks again to Mark Landiak for sharing his story. Until next time, keep fighting.